This is The Rational Perspective. I'm Alec Hogg. And today we look at NASPAS's new look disclosure on remuneration. Setting pay scales is among the most vexing challenge for a multinational corporation, but the complexity becomes almost overwhelming for a group like NASPAS, which competes against global tech titans in 150 countries around the world, but is headquartered in one of the most unequal societies on earth. Adding to this complexity is a double-edged sword of its early investment in Tencent, the Hong Kong startup that has become one of the world's biggest internet businesses. Because of the huge impact of Tencent's uplift for NASPAS, shareholders fret that executives who weren't even around at the time the investment was made are now getting a free ride. And then there's the impact of a European-based executive team being paid in hard currency, which appears extreme in terms of the RAND reporting base. As NASPAS's chief people officer, Aileen O'Toole, has the responsibility for this hot potato, she is the one who's going to be telling us all about how to handle it. And as you'll hear, her approach has been to push for the highest possible level of transparency to encourage rational debate amongst shareholders, stakeholders generally, and the media. The centerpiece of all this is a radically enhanced 25-page remuneration report that was released on Friday alongside the 2018 NASPERS annual report. Well, here is the former eBay exec who joined NASPERS four years ago. We believe that our remuneration philosophy and policy has, has always been right. So this year's report is really about enhanced disclosure, not just in terms of data, but also in terms of transparency and telling the story in a more digestible way. But in addition, we have made a number of changes to both um, the, the membership of our remuneration committee uh, and to the design of our various programs. So, for example, on, um, on the remuneration committee, we've, we've rebalanced the membership towards committee members who have um, an international focus and a tech focus and lower tenure as well. Uh, so Craig Ennenstein has, has stepped on to the committee as the chair. And Emily Choi, who's also from the U.S., has stepped on. Uh, and they're joined by Roberto Oliveira de Lima from Brazil, a very experienced CEO and general manager. Those changes are clearly targeted to appease the international investment community. The new remuneration committee chair, Craig Ennenstein, has for the past 12 years been CEO of Corridor Capital, a heavyweight private equity firm that's based in Los Angeles. He knows all about Silicon Valley. Emily Choi was LinkedIn's head of corporate development for eight years before she took on a similar position at Coinbase. That's a leading digital currency exchange. And Brazilian Roberto Oliveira de Lima is a global executive who has served on the boards of major groups in telecoms and financial services around the world. They come from a school which quite clearly believes executives need to have plenty of skin in the game. We've created an even tighter alignment between management and our shareholders by introducing clawback provisions on our shorter term, our annual bonus, and our longer term incentives. And our longer term incentives are typically share options or share appreciation rights. So one place that we differ actually from uh, our, our tech competitors for talent is that we don't give full value shares or restricted stock to our leadership uh, teams. Um, 
by giving share appreciation rights or share options, um, value has to be created in order for those people to get paid. So it creates a really tight alignment. The other thing we've introduced is a, a shareholding requirement uh, for our CEO. And he's required now to hold 10 times his base salary in NASPER shares for the duration of his tenure. Uh, and that in itself creates an even tighter alignment between his remuneration outcomes and the shareholders' um, returns. Um, he's already met that requirement. Uh, we've announced that in the report that was issued today. And going forward, you'll see a statement about whether he continues to meet it um, in, in, in the reports that we'll issue in, in, in future years. So does that mean you that he's, he's not allowed to sell down? to a level yes. which, is, uh, which is less than 10 times, or the value is less than 10 times the annual remuneration. Yeah, that's right. It's, um, it's, it's, it's a particularly significant shareholding requirement. And typically what you see in, in the UK, for example, would be two to five times. Five times would be considered you know, very, uh, you know, a very draconian um, holding requirement. But you know, we're informed by the market, but we don't slavishly copy it. And you know, given the, the size and scale of our operation, um, the level of capital investment involved, and indeed the historical share grants that the CEO has received, our committee thought 10 times was an appropriately strong signal to the market that we really do want to create this kind of alignment uh, between executives and, and shareholder outcomes. Aileen, I noticed uh, reading through the report that there's quite a lot of long-term thinking. 10 years, for instance, is used quite often. Just unpack that for me, would you? We operate in, in very competitive markets. Uh, we're competing against global tech titans in many of those markets, as well as uh, local competitors. And what we know in consumer internet is that we often need to invest over the long term to achieve scale and to really get you know, significant numbers of customers using the product before you then go for profitability. So it's usually investment to get to scale and then profitability follows. That takes some time, particularly in the high growth markets in which we operate. And so the reason you'll see um, a long term focus in, in our uh, remuneration is because we want our people to think long term, which is aligned with how our board thinks and indeed how our shareholders think. So you don't want short term thinking in your executives. And that's why we go with long term incentive plans. So although longer term incentives will typically vest or become available to the employee over four to five years, they're um, they're, they continue to be available for a further five years. So there's a 10-year period in total. Hopefully at the end of the 10-year period, a lot of value has been created for the shareholder and the employee gets the opportunity to pick up um, whatever profit they've made on their scheme. So we're all about the long term and uh, we want our executives and our recipients of the longer term incentives to think the same way. The detailed report also provides information on the earnings of Chief Executive Bob van Dijk, Financial Director Basil Skordos, and recently retired executive Mark Serer. In rand terms, their earnings are eye-popping. But O'Toole says it needs to be seen in perspective, and actually the remuneration strategy has been very carefully thought through. In general, these days, what you see is a blend of NASPER's share options and NASPER's e-commerce share appreciation rights. Um, so for the CFO and uh, the CEO, it's, it's really a blend between these two schemes. So we think it's important for them to have NASPER share options because in the end, the CEO is responsible for capital allocation decisions across the group and indeed exercised uh, that, uh, the, the, that authority um, quite, quite publicly this year in relation to selling down a little bit of Tencent. So you want, you want those executives to be tied to the shareholder in the form of NASPER share options. 
but you also want them to be incentivized to grow those internet businesses to scale and profitability over the long term. And the e-commerce share appreciation rights scheme is a basket of assets, essentially. We, um, we ask Deloitte to independently value all of our internet businesses every year. And the e-commerce scheme is a, a sum of the parts of all those valuations. And we particularly like that because it holds the participants accountable for any bad investments that are made, as well as the upside on the good investments. So this basket of assets means that the executives are truly accountable for the good and the bad decisions they make over time. And anything that doesn't work out becomes the downside drag on any upside created by, by the good bets that are made. So it is a blend and it is complex, but we have a lot of interests and it's important that our remuneration structure is designed so that we incentivize the right behaviors over the long term. Who are you similar to? You say that NASPERS does, and we know, compete with the tech titans around the world. But this remuneration strategy seems rather different to what is employed elsewhere. But is there anyone, is there, are there any of those groups that are similar to yours? There are similarities and differences with a lot of the, uh, the the global tech companies, for sure. Where we're similar is in terms of the type of um, the type of talent that we're competing for, and in the longer term focus of our incentives. In, 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 to that extent, we're in the same in the same game. But there's a couple of places that we that we diverge um, from those global tech companies, and in particular, one important thing to note is that we don't give our senior leaders and executives restricted stock or full value shares. That's a very common practice in, in, in US tech. And we don't do it because we feel that giving someone a, a longer term incentive that has an intrinsic value on day one um, somehow um, divorces them a little bit from alignment with the shareholder. So by giving our executives only share appreciation rights or share options, it means that they have to deliver value on behalf of the shareholder before they can make money themselves on these incentives. That's an important place that we diverge. The other place we diverge is around the, the vesting schedules and the vesting periods. So I mentioned that typically there's a 10-year term, and uh, and that's where we're similar. But when I look at U.S. tech companies, their, their vesting period is typically moving to three years. And often there's monthly vesting uh, within those three years. We've remained at four or five years with annual vesting. It's, it's, it's much more conservative. But in the end, we are long-term focused, and we want to retain our talent over the long term. So we haven't slavishly followed the fashion there. We've done what's right for us. Aileen, there's been a lot of criticism from shareholders, traders, uh, observers about the fact that as NASPERS has such a big stake in Tencent, if the Tencent share price goes up, the NASPERS executives get a free ride. Is there any way that you've been able to address that with the remuneration policy? Yes, Alec, I think that's that's true. There is a lot of concern about it. And I hope the increased disclosure this year will give people a higher level of comfort that we actually have considered this and that our blended approach uh, really balances some of these issues out. So what you'll see that uh, if you look at the composition of the shorter term and the longer term incentives is that quite a bit of it is not related to Tencent. So if you look at the uh, short uh, term incentive for the CEO, for example, you'll see it's broken into financial uh, objectives and uh, operational and strategic objectives. And and most of them don't relate to Tencent. Uh, so they're the, the short term within the financial year um, objectives that uh, he's been set by the board. And if you move on to the longer term incentives, then you'll notice that they're split between NASPERS share options and NASPERS e-commerce share appreciation rights. 
So we want our senior executives to have NASPERS um, share options because it, it really closely aligns them with the shareholder experience, uh, for better or for worse. And so at the moment, one of the big concerns of our shareholders is around the conglomerate discount we experience. Well, it's good in a way that the senior executives experience that pain along with the shareholders through their own personal incentives. And so they are motivated to solve this. And indeed, we've made some statements about the fact that we're looking at structural uh, solutions for this, uh, in addition, of course, to bringing our e-commerce businesses to scale and profitability. And the other side of the long-term incentives are the share appreciation rights, which relate to e-commerce. These are really a basket of assets um, where we look at the value of all of our e-commerce interests. And this way, we hold the senior executives accountable for all of the investment decisions they make in in e-commerce over the long term, both the good ones and the bad ones. So this blended approach really allows us to address some of the 10 cent concerns and and make sure that our executives are in the same position as our shareholders over the long term. And what about the absolute level, the, the, the nominal value of what Bob van Dijk earns? How do you benchmark that he's not being over or underpaid? Yeah, um, that's something that our committee spends a, a lot of time on, as you can imagine, and, um, you know, looks at um, what's happening in the market through benchmarking, also seeks external advice in terms of the appropriate mechanisms to, to remunerate him. So when I look at what um, what the CEOs at other public companies, which disclose the CEO's earnings, are, are getting paid, actually, you know, Bob Van Dyke's um, cash package is quite modest. So if I look at Booking or eBay or Expedia or... IAC or Altaba, typically you see CEO cash packages between two and five million US dollars a year. Uh, And so in that context, Bob is definitely at the lower end of, of the scale. And what you'll also see in the remuneration report this year is a very clear view that more than 90% of his pay package is at risk through shorter term and longer term incentives. And so that's not a particularly comfortable place to be uh, for any individual. But again, we think it's appropriate because, um, you know, we deploy a lot of capital, we make a lot of investments, and it's appropriate that that risk is there at the most senior levels in the business. It really creates this alignment and this um, pay for performance philosophy comes to life through those decisions. So compared to the market, the uh, the cash is quite modest. And if value is created for the shareholder, value will certainly flow to the senior executives. But I think our shareholders don't have a problem with that. You must have engaged at some point with some of your major critics and your shareholders and perhaps taken into account what they were, t- what they were saying. Yes, of course we did. I personally engaged with um, some of our larger shareholders this year, as well as other shareholders who had questions or concerns about the way we do remuneration. And, you know, their feedback um, actually was quite convergent, um, no matter who we spoke to and where in the world they were. So, you know, they really wanted um, us to tell a better story of what we do and why we do it. And I hope we've achieved that in this year's disclosure. They also had some comments about um, the, the tenure of our remuneration committee members and some comments about design and, uh, and dilution. And all of those, I think, we've addressed in the, uh, the, the, the design changes we've made and indeed in our announcement that we were going to the market to buy back shares to address the dilution our shareholders experienced as a result of, of our employee long-term, longer-term incentives. So I think we've come a long way this year, but you know we're in a long-term partnership with our shareholders um, and the conversation will continue. So I'm very much looking forward to their feedback at the AGM and beyond, and uh, we, will, we will continue to talk.
That was Eileen O'Toole, who's the Chief People Officer at NOSFAS, a group that has emerged from the southern tip of Africa to become one of the world's major media companies. It got there through some very smart calls, buying into Tencent when the company employed just 30 people, going big on Flipkart in India ahead of the Walmart acquisition this year, getting in early on MailRU, betting heavily on Delivery Hero and online classified adverts, markets where it's now a global leader, and a whole lot more. Well, part of the secret sauce, O'Toole has told us, is attracting and retaining entrepreneurial leadership. With the hand-picked chief executive, Bob van Dijk, having 90% of his earnings at risk, they certainly are following that to the end result. Few other chief executives of global corporations have as close an alignment with shareholders. This has been The Rational Perspective. Until the next time, cheerio.